We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Had he been born French or English, there is little doubt that his works would be prominently featured in the Western canon. In the Americas, he is certainly on the level of Melville, Hawthorne, and Poe. Machado de Assis. We're going to be talking about one of his most popular short stories found in this collection right here, Midnight Mass, today. That's some high praise with those names, which I think that he rightfully deserves. Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am Midnight Crypto. No, Mass Crypto? Crypto Mass? I don't know. (laughs) He's massively crypto. Uh... And if you've been here before, welcome back. If this is your first time, we take a conversational approach to literature, thinking that that is the best way to get the most out of it. If you're down for that, hit that subscribe button to join us on the journey. And as always, to start off with publication information, Midnight Mass was published in 1899, and our version is translated by William L. Grossman and Helen Caldwell. We'll leave a link down in the description where you can read for free. Now, the writing in this is absolutely gorgeous. There's no way it's as beautiful in Portuguese as it is in English. Like, I just, I can't even imagine. Like, it's just so beautiful in English. I can't, I can't, I can't even believe this is translated. It flows so well. So this is a new to us author, and we are for sure going to be continuing, as I'm already planning on some of his books down the line. But Machado de Assis apparently wrote nine novels and more than 200 short stories, yet remains almost completely unknown. And I mean, his name never came up once in any of my literature classes. Yeah, I'd never heard of him before you brought him up. We started discussing what was going to be on the schedule. Never read him in high school, college, or anything, which is crazy because his storytelling is so unique. And I I love how his point of view really resonates depending on how you view the story. This is a story of ambiguity. You get actions, but you don't necessarily get why they do a lot of these actions. And the testament to this, unfortunately, has not been translated into English, but there's literally a collection called Midnight Mass, Variations on the Same Theme, where six celebrated Brazilian authors write the story from the different characters in this. They tell the story again from their point of view. And I I can't imagine just how fresh that has to feel because I would love to have gotten the story from Conceicio's point of view or from the, the husband's point of view. That is just so cool. But that is probably one of the main driving forces of this is the ambiguity of the points of view. Do you know the six authors? Because I would love to know if one of them was Clarice. <laughs> We'd have no, to learn I'll, Portuguese for that alone. No, I will put the names up on the board for anyone that is interested or can speak Portuguese and would like to indulge in that. But what I would say is one thing that I would, the reason why I would put this story on a pedestal is In a Grove by Ryunosuke Akutagawa. We covered that on this channel. One of the most brilliant writings to have ever come out of Japan where it tells a story so perfectly crafted, you cannot tell what's the truth. The characters perfectly contradict and support each other at the same time. 
This is the psychological version of that, where these characters can all agree exactly on what happened, but all disagree on the motives behind it. And that's what's going to, I think, make this story really enriching to like it, to discuss. And I think that's one thing to really point out that was key for me was, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in our subjective rating at the end, is that on the surface, this just seems like kind of a coming-of-age story, but there is a lot more depth to it that I think having a conversation will pull out some more of that meaning. And for a, a reader such as myself that struggle with it the first pass-through, maybe to enjoy it a little bit more. So for plot, and then we'll get into our discussion and analysis after this, the narrator comes to Rio to study for his college exams. He stays with a notary, Menez, and his second wife, Conceicio, his mother-in-law, and two former slaves. Menez would go to the metaphorical theater, a.k.a. to have an affair with another woman, and then come back the next morning. Conceicio, his wife, was the saint in a glass of lukewarm water where she was not too much of anything, not too little, not too much. The narrator stayed in Rio to see the midnight mass in the big city. Everyone goes to bed while he stays up late and reads. Conceicio comes into Nogueira's room. They talk of novels, the midnight mass in the city versus the country, and they both fidget and become kind of scatterbrained. The woman moves closer and then keeps pushing him to keep talking. The woman talks about pictures of women being inappropriate in their house. Now, she'd much rather have her religious paintings, uh, but she keeps those in the oratory instead. The narrator looks away, even though he isn't tired of looking at her, and didn't want the conversation to end and felt he ought to, out of respect. His friend soon arrives, beating on the window, yelling that the midnight mass has arrived. Later, the husband dies of a stroke, and the woman marries the husband's apprentice clerk. End plot. All right, where, where do you want to start with this one? I, I, there's so many characters, so many angles. I, I feel like that there's no right way, is there? Well, first of all, for people who have read this, they may have walked away with, this is what happened. And what I would like to do is maybe kind of explore that there's probably a couple different ways to interpret almost every action in this short story. Some people may interpret it as the woman was advancing on him. Some people may interpret it as the coming of age, where this boy thought she was advancing, but she really wasn't as she you know, went off and married this other, this other man. There's a lot of different ways to review this story in terms of did the woman mean to? Was she conscious of it? Did she not do it? Did the little boy interpret it this way because this is a story that we're looking back on the younger version of ourselves. And the narrator even admits that he's not 100% reliable. Like He's recalling a very confused, inexperienced version of himself. We have the quote, And I remember that she shut her eyes again. Whether hurriedly or slow, I do not remember. Some of my recollections of that evening seem abortive or confused. I get mixed up. I contradict myself. 100% agree. At first, I was very confused about this, but I think that as I think back, the young boy, the narrator, has realized that the wife is being neglected by the husband. He's going off and having an affair, and here he kind of swoops in and thinks maybe he's saving the day. You know, he's young and virile, and she needs somebody to, to connect with, and I think that he's maybe misremembering these things a little bit. I think that mm -hmm. she, he was hoping that she was advancing on him. Well, he could think that, or could he think he was just being the platonic person to listen to her when she felt lonely, right? We don't know the answer because he also could have felt nervous where maybe she was advancing, to your point, but did he want her to? 
Or did he not want her to? Was that why he was potentially nervous? There are so many different ways to interpret this. This is really the psychological in a grove. It's so fascinating the way that you can counter-argue with yourself as you talk about why are the characters <laughs> doing it this way. Right. I mean, if, if you look at some of the key words of how two people are interacting, this is an awkward situation with the fidgeting. This is a situation that you don't know whether this is really happening or not. You don't know what the intentions are from either person. And it is kind of that idea of when two people come together and they're unsure of each other's motives, they may act, you know, out of retaliation. They may out act out of, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this scenario, especially at 17 when you don't know maybe someone's true intentions or do you? Maybe he was, you know, wise beyond his years. We really don't know. So let's talk about a couple of signifiers in here, maybe some different ways to interpret them. So first of all, a missile day a Misao do Galo. Again, all of these names are probably being murdered by us. I apologize. I don't speak <laughs> Portuguese, but I would love to. But we have the Rooster's Mass is the name of this one, and it gets translated to Midnight Mass as the closest translation, I'm told. And I guess it's because on Christmas Eve, it's referred to that in Portuguese for a rooster to have allegedly crowed at midnight at the time Jesus was to have been born. So there's already built into the title some coming of age awakening moments in even just in the rooster's mass being the title. And then in conjunction with that being on Christmas Eve, is that play into this as well? Well, is the boy being reborn himself is right. Like to that point of, is this his big moment? Uh, we don't know. Or is he being sacrificed? I you know. <laughs> mm. That's for true. the betterment of the family moving forward. I don't know. Like he's the sacrificial lamb. <laughs> yeah. So some of the signifiers in this is we need to talk about probably, let's start with the paintings, okay? There was the picture of Cleopatra that she thought was tacky. Oh, this belongs in the barbershop where the boys have the boy talk, if you will. Uh, I think Cleopatra, I mean, she doesn't have to be, but a lot of times she is that symbol of sexuality, that symbol of maybe even empowerment or objectification, and, and the wife can't stand it. She can't stand this sexuality, this object of sex in her house. She wants it out. Because instead, what does she want to replace it with? Religious stuff. Right, which is, oddly enough, locked away. What, what does that mean? Why is it locked away? Did the husband reject celibacy, right, for that promiscuity with Cleopatra is one way to interpret that? Or is the woman uh, locking up her own uh, uh, thoughts and, and religious concepts here with it being locked in the oratory as well. There's clearly a discussion and opposition though between these two and the lifestyles perhaps that these two individuals are living as well. For me with the painting, I felt a lot of it might have been, might have been jealousy because she is obviously mm. maybe somewhat of an older woman and mm. she's kind of described as almost plain and that she is not something that is desired after, and she is trying to maybe, maybe seduce this young boy. We really don't know, or maybe the young boy is trying to seduce her. Uh, and does that happen or does not that happen? If it doesn't, then she's feeling even rejected that she couldn't get a young boy. Uh, mm. I, I think that I think this is a lot of maybe um, the wife's personal issues that mm, she may be struggling with. That's a good point, because she was lukewarm water, right? She was not too hot, not too cold. <laughs> um, what about the reeds? 
he was reading Three Musketeers, and she was reading The Little Sweetheart by Macedo, which are both romantic and innocent coming-of-age kind of moments in those stories, too. And romanticism is usually a young person's game, right? And I think that she's longing after something that maybe she never had. We don't know. Maybe this was an arranged marriage, and it's a loveless marriage. And she's just looking for something to bolster not her own feelings about her own sexuality or her own looks or anything. Just what we all kind of desire in life is love, someone to love us for who we are. And she's clearly not getting that at home because we know definitively that her husband is having an affair. Well, that's a good point, too, because, you know, if she is getting older and she does feel like she's not attractive anymore, is that desire to return to innocence the chance at a redo? the chance at getting another, you know, husband. Because at this point, we don't know if she's courting this uh, clerk that used to work with her husband or not. Uh, But she's clearly, uh, I think the signifier to me is that she ended up with someone, which tells me that she did want to fill that gap. She did want someone in her life to maybe share the journey with her. And maybe that's what that signifier is. Did you feel like that was a little bit about left field at the end? It kind of abruptly is uh, husband dies, wife marries clerk. And I'm the narrator recalling, recanting this story. To me, it I, I thought it was going to be the narrator to be like, and we got married and lived happy ever after, after her husband died. That was kind of what I was expecting to happen. Well, isn't that shakeup at the end what makes the, makes the reader's ability to say, wait, did I understand the story? Like, Brilliant. When it's, yeah. when it's so like violent at the end and maybe you know the husband he died of a stroke so was his mind blown in theory by what was happening too right (laughs) Uh, see what you did there (laughs) but but i think that's meant for us to challenge ourselves of wait did i understand what happened because i don't know if you've shared how you originally read it but the whole time i was reading it i viewed her as advancing on him and he the inexperienced boy didn't know what to do is was my main interpretation until I got to that shock, shocking moment at the end. It, that's how I followed it as well. I, the husband was cheating. She's looking to rekindle a relationship with anybody because she needs to be loved, wants to be loved. She's trying with this young boy that she sees an opportunity with. And then obviously something happens, doesn't work out. And then wait a minute. Now she's with clerk guy. Wait, what? Um, I think it works because the narrator is the boy. We're restricted in our understanding of this. Not only are we restricted to the boy's view, we're restricted to the boy recollecting his view from years ago when he was a young 17-year-old boy and inexperienced at the time. It's like about as unreliable as you can possibly get. But we have these, for me, the signifiers, when she walks in, she's wearing all white, right? She starts licking her lips, which in my, my view was like, oh, okay. That's like a, a sensual sign that she may be interested. But also when you're nervous, right? I don't know what to say. I feel uncomfortable. I didn't think about it from that perspective at the time. But another way to interpret that is that she's nervous and doesn't know what to do. She's looking for this boy just to help her feel comfortable for, get this, her rebirth. What if it isn't his coming of age story, but her turning around point in her life? And that's what the the, the rooster's mass is for her, is her to get her second chance. I never thought about that. All I think of is that I, I don't mean to derail you, but you, you said about that. And I know it's, you know, different when certain people like lick their lips and I could kind of almost hear you doing it through our conversation. And all I kept thinking was in Friday where he's like, <laughs> like licking his finger. <laughs> All right, oh, all right. 
<laughs> so there's um there's also some symbolism here where we have she walked between the window and the door of her husband's study. And windows are for escape and doors are for change. And that made me think, you know, she's vacillating between how do I escape or how do I change? And that kind of, I think, further bolsters the idea that this could be her coming of age moment. Agreed. The The wife here has a lot of, I think, tells where in the story she's always adjusting things in the room. And I think this leads more to her nervousness. Like, why is she nervous in her own house if she isn't doing anything wrong? And maybe, you know, she's like, oh, am I going to get caught? Or maybe she's excited that, you know, this is something new and different. And maybe there's that thrill of being caught by her husband to spice up the marriage and to show that somebody else does desire her when he does not. Is it she doesn't feel comfortable in her own skin anymore with her husband leaving her? She doesn't feel comfortable in the house. She's looking to adjust things around the house. She's looking to change herself. Again, the window and door conversation there as well. I just I just think this story can be taken so many different ways. It's it's really mind-blowing how masterful this was woven together because to that point, the boy was fidgeting. Why was the boy fidgeting? Obviously, she made him nervous for some odd reason. He was uncomfortable being around her, and that it, it could be an age difference, you know, just somebody that is your senior could make you feel uncomfortable, or is it that, you know, tension between them that unspoken romance between them well i think this comes down to the reason in a grove is a masterpiece and the reason why midnight mass is an absolute masterpiece is it tells us something about ourselves who we sympathize with what we think is okay or morally correct what does it say about us that we think it's acceptable or okay or expected that she would thus cheat to almost i don't know if it would be to get back at him I don't know if it would be her escape and she'd feel justified, but what does it mean about us that we think it's okay or expect her to potentially be advancing on a young coming-of-age boy after this divorce that she's justified in it even, maybe? That's a tough one, right? Do two wrongs make a right here? Is she justified in what she's doing, or did she even do anything? We, we don't know, uh, but we do know that the husband is obviously having an affair, and so you're more sympathetic to her, but I don't know, they're, they're, they're married. That depends on what you define as fair in a relationship or a marriage. Uh, I don't know. Well, let me, I, let me hit you with this one. Do we think the aggressor is the one who owns all the fault? Neither one of us, I think, challenge the fact that the husband is at fault for cheating on her. Like, for some reason, no matter what they did, for, I don't know what she did to cause it or what made him you know, run around town. But I think you and I both agree he's at fault. Now with her advancing on him, do we view the boy as having no agency and just is sitting there and accepting it? Or is it you and I are assigning value to whoever makes the move is the person responsible? Uh, I, I think it takes two to tango. The, the boy, yes, while young and yes, while innocent and inexperienced or whatever a, attributes you want to give to him even if he's reading the situation wrong he could leave he has a choice he has choices and he's choosing to stay up and, and flirt with her or you know he could have moved away he could have leaned away that's a very telling physical tale obviously maybe there's something in his face you know and he he's he's portraying himself as nervous and liking this or excited and she's picking up on visual cues of what he's doing he could have made some very telling differences, I think, in what went down in the story. 
Well, I'll tell you what, this story was fascinating and I think we could probably keep going on about it. But let's wrap it up here on Midnight Mass. I think this is such a beautifully and engaging story. We're going to leave a link to Machado de Assis' playlist down below. We're going to be doing one of his novels coming up. I haven't decided which one, but you know, hit me up in the comments down below if you think there's a particular one that you think we should be checking out. Uh, let, let us know, and we'll put all, all, all those talks in the playlist down below. Let's move into our subjective wrap-up and ratings. Crypto, what are you going to give this one? I kind of feel like I want to give this one two. My first pass-through, I was very low, a four or five. I thought it was just a very simple coming-of-age story, and that says a lot about me. And I know my own limitations, and I have you know talked about my limitations on being able to analyze, and I think I've gotten better. And then on top of us having this conversation about it, my score has more than doubled. I would put this easily at a nine plus. The, the, it's, just, it's incredible how much we can view it the same and different and that you will be able to possibly view it different yourself of which character resonates more with you. And we've talked about some amazing, the greatest works of all time in our opinions here that when you pick a different character to follow their story and their path and what it means to you as a person, you know you're talking about top-notch literature. I'm going with the ever-coveted 10 out of 10 perfect Ooh, story. Absolutely stunning. Because on top of all of this you know, stuff that we talked about, just the writing was just like hypnotic and gay. It was so beautiful. There's no way this is more beautiful in Portuguese. I challenge myself to learn Portuguese to learn. It might be an 11. It might be an 11. It was just so beautiful. Can't wait to check out more. We post videos every Monday and Thursday with a bonus video on Tuesday. If that sounds like you guys, hit that subscribe button to join us on the journey. Una out. Peace.